But the message I've got for you, <laughs> sorry, Pastor Liam and Lisa, but it's called Wisdom Brings Wisdom That Brings About the Miraculous. This year in Global Heart Church, our theme has been Wisdom Builds the House. Wisdom Builds the House. Did you know that you can be a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and then in one hour wreck everything? You can be married for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and then in an hour wreck everything. And people do, and Christians do. But God wants us to grow in wisdom so that your house, you, <laughs> the house you inhabit, is blessed and gets wiser, gets stronger. Your family, home, your children, if you have them, your grandchildren, get wiser and stronger. And that the house of God here for us in Zambia and Lusaka gets wiser and stronger. But we need wisdom and we need to pray absolutely and we were doing that yesterday on the land. Last night we were praying on the land again here in Osaka of our church. But wisdom, I'm going to talk about today, is wisdom that brings about the miraculous in your life. So first of all, I'm going to say to this to all the Christians, if you're a believer, let me just say this to you. I'm going to ask you a question. Where are your miracles? Where are your miracles? Your personal miracles from your personal actions and personal choices. Where are they? Are you having them? I hope you are. Are they, are they something that you experience? Or is it something you hear about in other people's lives and you just watch on from the fringes? I want to encourage everybody. God doesn't want you just watching on from the fringes. He wants you walking in his supernatural miracle power in all areas of your life. Not being spiritually weird. Because we're naturally spiritual, naturally supernatural, and supernaturally natural. But some people think you've got to go into spiritual chatter 24-7 to be spiritual. No, no, no. We just need to be walking in what the Word teaches us to do. And then I find that as I've carried in the house of God now for four decades, 35 years at the end of the year I'll be a pastor, that my spiritual chat that I had as a young man, being super, trying to chat spiritually, <laughs> as it were, dropped off. Because as I carried and as God developed heart and character in me and Sue, what we did was we began to apply the word of God and began to see the word of God in our lives. Your kids, everybody, need testimonies. Your kids need testimonies. Your kids need testimonies. Your family need testimonies from you. You need testimonies to you of what God's done in your life. And you need to tell those stories, but they need to hear it. By the way, everybody, we're not called to a natural life. We're called to be in the natural. In actual fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says, it's the non-favorite scripture of most Christians, 1 Corinthians 15 says, first the natural, then the spiritual. Did you know that? Most Christians think, oh, first the supernatural, Pastor Jared. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, many times that's, we love the spiritual supernatural because it's a cover for our character. Because I can just get all spiritual and ignore my wife, ignore my children, and ignore my sin. Because I'm talking so spiritual, hallelujah, and the ten toes of Daniel, amen. When in actual fact, spiritual people genuinely are saying, Lord, work in my heart. Work in my character. Work in my life. What do you need to change in me, Jesus? Help me. <laughs> Help me, God, to be who you've called me to be. And I love it because Proverbs 2, verse 3 to 5, it's a wow scripture for me. Proverbs 2, 3 to 5 says, For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice. 
and lift your voice for understanding. And if you seek for understanding and seek for discernment like silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Oh, everybody, we need to be people who know the knowledge of God, not just have spiritual chatter, but I know the Lord. I know God's ways. I know his kingdom. And I like of Daniel chapter 5, it talks of Daniel, that he had illumination, insight, and wisdom. And the people said Daniel had wisdom like that of the gods. Everybody, God wants you to have a high level of insight. May it start from today in Jesus' name so that you're not just, hey, I'm plodding along as a Christian, but no, you're walking in discernment. You're walking in understanding. You're walking in insight. And I want to encourage everybody too, as a Christian, listen, after 42 years as a Christian, 35 years as a pastor, can I tell you that most Christians, the moment God goes to work in our lives, where we're having discomfort, we're having problems with a husband or wife, we don't like the church for some reason, we don't like the person in our home group, we don't like our job, here's what we do. We move marriages, we move jobs, we move cities, we move families, we move home groups, we move churches, when the whole time the Christian life is not about geography. God, God may move you to a church. Uh, most people get saved into church, but if God moves you to a church, listen to this. If God is moving you to a church, it's not because you went shopping for one and went, oh, I love the children's ministry. Oh, I love the coffee shop. <laughs> I love, oh, wow, these guys are cool. No, no, no. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, everybody. We're trying, we are a global heart church. We want to be a biblical church. We want to be a biblical church. It says God sets the members in the body. Sets them. God sets them. Have you ever seen concrete set? <laughs> God puts us somewhere. And I meet Christians all the time who say, oh, yes, I'm shopping for a church in that city. I'm like, what? What is that? Is it like a disease with Christians? <laughs> I go shopping for, I'm shopping for something I like. No, no, no. Jesus says, I set you somewhere. Now let me change you on the inside through that experience. Let your wife change you. Let your home group change you. Let serving change you. So one out of, I've discovered, 49 Christians go on geography exchanges and movements when God's trying to deal with our character. But one out of the 50 is the Christian who goes on the internal journey. That's my stats. Where they go, Lord, I'm uncomfortable in the marriage. I'm uncomfortable being a parent. I'm uncomfortable in the job or whatever. I'm just saying, you know, in various areas, Lord, what do you need to do in me? What do you need to change in me? That one in 50 is the person who really gets to know God. God really changes, and that person really sees the miraculous. The other 49 are wandering around the churches of Lusaka and Perth and Germany, wandering, not driven by God, but driven by issues in their character and heart that are yet to be addressed. So, long after you're gone, I'll still be standing here. And you'll be maybe somewhere else. I'll still be pastoring in church with the same people. Why? Because God set me in this family. When you're gone from here in Lusaka, I'll be 85. <laughs> Coming. Why? Because I didn't set myself here. 
I wasn't shopping when I came to Lusaka. Oh, I need to find the group I like. I said, Lord, where did you set me? He said, with these people. Chilakra and Insama, Winnie and Winston, Pastor Liam and Lisa years ago. And then God goes, I set you there. What do I need to do? Change my character to stay where I was set. Whoa. How are you, co- are you coping? We'll find out in 10 years. So I'll lead into this. Ephesians 1 also says, May the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. May the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Gosh, it's nice when you meet a Christian who's understanding. (laughs) I just had two young pastors in Australia. They're two of the great guys in our country. I just end up having an afternoon conversation with them. Oh, my gosh. I was like, wow, you two are really walking with Jesus, and you're only in your 30s. Because the insight they were talking, I was like, that's taken some serious inward geography. Inward geography. So too many people have in their life, even Christians and ministries and pastors, have too much of what looks like, looks like it's God, but in actual fact it's Ishmael's. Stuff that we came up with. Stuff that we came up with. God doesn't want you having an Ishmael life. He wants you having Isaac life. Where the things that are coming out of your life, the things that are coming out of a church have been birthed by God, not birthed by us. In Australia, they just wrote a book on 100 years of Pentecostal church. And they were interviewing all the pastors over the you know, older pastors. And I'm the youngest at 60 of the pastors they interviewed. And they're going along and they interview them all. And they're asking about how that happened. And you know, we have a recovery center for drug addicts, alcoholics. We have different things we've done. And they're saying to me, well, why did you do that? And I said, well, I didn't want to. And then they're like... Well, what? But that's been very successful, our drug rehab. I said, yeah, God made me do it. He talked to me for four years. I ignored him and said, get another church to do it. But when I went inside and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to do that. And I ended up obeying him. So anyway, when they interviewed me, they said to me, Pastor Jared, you're very interesting. And I said, why is that? They said, because that's successful. The Zambian church is going great in the time, even during the pandemic. This is happening, that's happening, that's happening. And then they said to me, but other pastors we talked to, they all said, oh, yes, hallelujah. I was so blessed to do that. And they said, and most of what we asked you, you said, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and then I, they said to me, why do you think that is? Do you want the answer? I said, because most of the people in the scripture were doing stuff that was outside their comfort zone. Things they didn't want to do. Hey, Jonah. <laughs> Did Jonah like those people? <laughs> no. He ends up getting a little bit of belly time. <laughs> with a whale, most people are doing stuff they don't want to do, right? Because it starts out many times looking like that. Do you want to be with them? Do you want to do that? I think what God calls us to is things that at times we just don't, wouldn't choose. And then God says, it's me though. My dad was a horrible alcoholic, abusive, psychologically abusive. And then God says to me, start a rehab for alcoholics and drug addicts. And I said to God, start it yourself. I'm like, Lord, you've gone too far now. You have gone too far. He spoke to me about that for four years till I did it. And now it's the government in the last two years gave it, two and a half years gave us $2 million to it. When you obey God, what do you get? The miraculous. Did I want to do it? Heck no. <laughs> because I grew up with my father. And in drug addicts as well around me, 
who abused my life, and then God says, I want you to do that now. What was God saying to me? He's saying to me, I want you to do the last thing I need you to do. You overcome evil, Jared, with good. If you want to see the next level of miraculous, do that. And then now we're number two for men's recovery in drug and alcohol addiction in Western Australia. But when they interview me, did you want to do that? Heck no. <laughs> did you want to do that? No, I didn't. Did you want to be with those people? Not really. So why did you? Because it's not my will. It's his. And when it's his will, guess what? Miraculous. So I just obeyed him, and then the government gives me $2 million. Do you understand what I'm telling you? The miracle is in what you don't want to do, but then you action it by saying, Lord, nevertheless, four years later, I'll do it. And then God says, I'll back it now. God wants you to have Isaacs. The story of Ruth, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story. It's going to get the short version. But one of the greatest stories in the scripture is a story about an incredible woman called Ruth. Her name means friend. Sometimes you just need a friend called Ruth. And the story of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, I'll just, read, I'll just read one bit to you from the scripture and then I'll just try and pull it together quickly. It says, it came about in the days in Ruth chapter 1 when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Isn't it always before the miracles come there's a famine in the land? Have you noticed that? There's a famine. Nothing's going on. And God goes, wow, what perfect opportunity for me to show myself. So there's a famine in the land, and the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to reside in the land of Moab. He took his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites of Bethlehem in Judah. So they entered the land of Moab. They remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was uh, Oprah. She became a TV star later in years to come. And the other was Ruth. And they lived there 10 years. Then both Marlon and Chilean, can you believe it? Naomi has lost her husband. Now both her sons also died. And the woman was left without her two sons and the two sons and her husband. And she's like, that's the end. She turns to her daughter-in-laws and says, listen, return. Go back. I'm too old to have two sons by the time. If you hang around, even if you hang around, and I have two sons for you, Basically, um, it's going to take decades for them to be grown and marry you. So just return to your people. God, and then she says in, uh, in this last verse here, 13, she says, it's because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. So here's Ruth, right? Her father-in-law's died. Her husband's died. Her sister-in-law's husband's died. Now her mother-in-law says, God has come out against me and God's working against me. Can I encourage everybody, when you're in the midst of a trial, a distress, a challenge, don't judge too quickly. And right now, Naomi thinks it's the end, and her perspective is, God's actually done it to me. Can I encourage you, God does not do evil to you. God does not send sickness to you. God does not do bad things to you. That is not God. Here's what we do know. Life happens to everybody. Life happens to Christians, to the godly, and the ungodly. And sometimes things just go wrong. But what we do in those moments are so important because it impacts the destiny for you and for others around us. So this young lady, Ruth, her sister-in-law 
Orpah says, right, I'm out of here. I'm going back to uh, my people, find my husband. She's gone. She's on the next show, you know, married at first sight or whatever it is. And then Ruth says, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. And I love it. Proverbs 22, 4 reminds us of Ruth. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So she decides to be loyal, which means firm and constant. She decides to have allegiance and and firm resistance to temptation or distraction is another definition of the word loyalty. Everybody, we need to become loyal people. And loyalty is not loyalty to you. Some of us are loyal to me, whatever I feel and think. No, no, no. Loyalty, real loyalty is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. I've got people we've been, walking with, we've been walking in journey now for decades and decades. That's loyalty. Where through the storms, I can be relied on. If you go to our church in Perth, I've been sitting in Friday night services there now for 25 years. Friday night, you'll see me. <laughs> Unless, you know, I'll be there. Why? Because I'm being firm and resistant to temptation or distraction because that is the church God planted me in. So the storm can come, the building can fall over. I'll still be in my chair Friday night sitting there. Why? Because God says, I've set you here, Ruth. That's where I placed you. I set you in Zambia, Pastor Jared slash Ruth. I set you in Rwanda, Pastor Jared slash Ruth. That's where I set you. So be resistant to temptation or distraction because loyalty is an allegiance and a devotion that is not moved. It's not moved. Some of you right now, you don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You don't know where you'll be next month. Why? Because you still don't understand loyalty. Because once you understand it, you are walking with people not for five minutes. And here's a new group, a new connect group, a new church, a new city. No, no, we can move around. I'm involved in things internationally, but all of it is still with the same people where God sent me decades ago. So, by the way, can I encourage you, if you had a parent walk out on you in your life, you will have to address that in your life by giving that to God. You have to verbally say to God, God, I, my mother walked out on me. My father walked out on me. Lord, I give you that situation. Otherwise, listen, everybody, at the crucial moment, you'll walk out on us. Too many people don't realize that what happened to them in their childhood is in them now in their Christian walk. I wanted my father to walk out on me and leave the house. He never did. That was the problem. <laughs> I'm like, go, please. Wow. But some of you, you just had a parent walk out. Well, that's in you now. And unless you address that and say, Lord, help me not to walk out where you place me in the body of Christ. Help me not to walk out on my home group and people because now the walking out is in me as a Christian. You ever had friends where you're like, what happened to her? What happened to him? They never addressed what happened in their childhood. And they never gave it to God. So Sue and I, Sue had her father walk out on her when she was eight years old and her sister who was six, and he had three more marriages after her mother. So her and I together have had to address, and my father didn't leave, but he walked out emotionally before I was born, I think. He was out. So Sue and I have to address, Lord, help us not to walk out on each other. Help us not to walk out on our church. Help us not to walk out on our children. Help us not to walk out when you've placed us. We give it to you weekly in Jesus' name. 
Ruth goes on in the chapter and says, after Naomi says, I'm bitter, leave me. She goes on and says to uh, Naomi, incredibly, this godly girl, an apparently beautiful girl, she's a woman of great faith. And she says to Naomi, her bitter mother-in-law, who actually, when the neighbors came and said, aren't you Naomi? How interesting that when you're bitter, people who knew you years ago don't even recognize you because of the bitter countenance. And she says, don't call me Naomi, my name's Mara. And they, they can't even recognize her. Why? Because bitterness changes your countenance. And, uh, and Ruth steps up to her mother and says, hey, look, I'm not leaving you. Verse 15, chapter 1. Don't plead with me to go. I'm not going. She says, I'll go where you go. I'll sleep where you sleep. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. She's saying this to a bitter fully bitter mother-in-law, and then she says, and by the way, where you die, I will die, and where you're buried, I'll be buried, buried there too. Oh my gosh, this is the woman of God who makes it into the word of God in this, with this story. Everybody, sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be this amazing Christian. Really? I'll stay with you when you're sick. I'll be with you. In the problems, I'll be dependable. When everybody else is not dependable, when you die, well, I'll die there too. Where you're buried, I'll bury. Now, you don't have to necessarily go and say, I'm doing that to somebody. But in heart and attitude as a believer, we need to go to have that spirit of, Lord, where you place me, this is my attitude. Help me to learn from Ruth. By the way, Ruth's actions, which she was about to undertake from that, those actions were the prelude, listen to this, to generational greatness. Sometimes our actions in the middle of great difficulty, we think they're not important. But what Sue and I have chosen, what you choose in the midst of great difficulty, will impact your life in the decades to come, but also your children and grandchildren. Sue and I both have every reason due to pain and abuse for us to be independent Christians like some of you, wandering around churches, wandering around home groups, wandering around cities, wandering around, wandering around, wandering around. And then God, the very issue for me was, because my father was such a terrible authority, was that I could, did not respect people in authority. And here's what God said to me. Until you learn to honor the people that I put there, Jared, I cannot take you any further. Until you learn to come under the authority of the pastoral team, who I've been developing them for 35 years, long before you got here, when I was a teenager, God said, I can take you no further. He said, my kingdom is not an independent kingdom, it's interdependent. He said, Satan was independent. I don't use those who are like him. I was so young. And then God said to me, you need to come under authority. I had three pastors tell me to go to a Bible college when it didn't even exist and leave my job. I was a fairly new Christian. And I was like, where's your Bible college? And they're like, uh, it hasn't started yet, but it's going to be great. We think you should go. One after another, come to me. Well, I had to choose at that moment. I'm going to be independent, no better, choose my way. I know what I should be doing. And I said to Sue, help. And she said, you need to listen to those pastors. I went to the Bible college. When I went to the Bible college, after I finished, after two years, they then offered me an internship at the church. I had such a broken background. I said to the pastor, I don't think you should offer me a pastoral internship. I'm actually very bad background. And I think you're gonna, I don't want to waste people's tithe money on me. And he said, no, no, we want, to, we want you to do it. And I was like to my wife, are these people crazy? 
then I went and stuff, and then they asked, offered me a pastoral role. And I'm saying to the pastor, seriously, I really don't think. And he said, no, 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 we want you. Sue said, come under authority. All right. When it came a pastor, came pastoral director, that church said, Sue and I, back to London where my wife's from. We planted what became the London Hillsong Church, became 10,000 people. We were there for six years, helped disciple people, helped teach people to lose independence, lose independence and to humble themselves. We're there and established that. That church went on and became a great blessing to Europe. And we're so glad for that. We were so honored to be part of that. We got sent again by eldership and pastors to Perth. We had our eldership here in Perth, send us where? To Zambia. Sue and I didn't take a microphone and went. We were sent. We didn't take a microphone and went, everybody. We were sent. You need to be sent into what God has called you to. We don't want to take God's route. We just want the miraculous without taking God's route. Lord, we, we look around. Where's the meeting with the miraculous? We run along and we're trying to get, oh, do the miracle over me. I don't need the miracle, man, though I honor those God uses. In, I pray for people, believe for miracles. I'm, I'm into that. But many people are looking for the miracle, man, because they don't want to take the route to experience the miracle in their own life. So I need to go to you because I don't want to do what it takes to have that miracle in me. Everybody, follow Ruth. <laughs> Your miracle is found many times in taking the route, listen, that requires loyalty and cost at a new level. Your miracle is found in the route that requires loyalty and cost at a new level. Are you, anybody watch uh, Preaching Around the World? Sometimes I see a certain nation get up and the pastor preaches and he's saying, this is your year, this is the year, you are going to be this, you're going to be that, it's going to be so blessed, it's going to be this. And it's basically like, remember Oprah had her birthday show? You win a car, you win a car, you win a car. The pastor's saying it and I'm thinking, bro, what are you? what have you been taking? What are you talking about? This isn't the church of the you win a car. Where is that? And he's saying it to a huge crowd. All these people, oh, hallelujah. I'm like, this pastor's on drugs. I don't know what he's talking about. That's not the Bible. Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Do the most painful thing every day unto me and you'll find your life. Isaiah chapter 1, if you're willing and obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. It, it took me a long time, four years to get to willing with the recovery center. I wasn't willing. Confess it to one of my elders. I'm not doing that. And then the moment I was willing and obedient, God goes, here's your $2 million from the government. I didn't need to go to the miracle man. I just need to become willing and obedient. I want to say that, Pastor, what are you talking, telling all those poor? You know what country he's from, right? America. <laughs> what are you telling them that for? That's not helping them. Because a whole lot of them are sitting there, and this year it ain't going to happen. They ain't getting the car, and there's nothing going to change. And they're going to be discouraged and think it was God. No, no, you need to teach them the whole gospel, not just the motivational. Because the whole gospel is, God's putting in His Word. Ruth is my example of the one who ends up in direction 
protection and provision in Jesus' name. So the story goes on with Ruth. Ruth ends up in a field. field is filled with uh, men threshing, women threshing, bringing in the harvest, reapers. They bring it in. And Ruth, this pretty Jewish girl, she's at the back and she's picking up leftovers in the field for her and her mother-in-law. She's picking them up. She's carrying the leftovers after the harvests have been through to feed herself and feed her mother-in-law. And just probably thinking to herself, what have I done? Why am I doing this? Why am I here with this bitter mother-in-law? Why am I in this field? I'm young. I've got everything going. And she doesn't realize that already God has seen her and God's man Boaz has seen her. Everybody, Boaz means strength. And this man who actually owns the field sees this girl and says, what is, he says to his workers, what's she doing? What is this girl in this field picking up leftovers for? Who, what is she doing? She's a pretty girl. And they said, she's doing it for her mother-in-law. What? Her mother-in-law's husband's dead. Her husband's dead. She's serving her mother-in-law. And he's like, why hasn't she returned to her people and got married? Because she's being loyal and faithful to where God has placed her. Boaz meets her. The story of the story is, falls in love with her, marries her. And the girl picking up leftovers in the field ends up the wife of the owner of all the land. She has all the provision. She goes on, gives birth to a baby. The baby's name's Obed. She lays the baby in Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law's lap. And Naomi's like, oh my gosh, I thought it was the end. And now here she is with her grandchild. She actually becomes the nursing mother to the grandchild. And Obed goes on and has Jesse. And Jesse, everybody, is the father of the greatest king Israel never knew, David. So guess what? Ruth in the field picking up leftovers. The miracle that she never knew was she would become the grandmother of the greatest king of Israel because she stayed with a bitter woman in a difficult circumstance, picking up leftovers to feed her and look after her. And God said, I got you. I got you. Everybody look at me right now. God's got you. God got you. If it's tough, He's got you. He's there. He's got you. He's got you right now. Boaz sees you. His name's Jesus. He's like, I see you in the field. I see what you're doing. Just do it unto me. Just do it with loyalty. Just do it with a right heart. And actually, give me your bitterness. And as you do, and you say, Lord, I'm going to serve where you place me. God says, I got you. Boaz is on the way. Provision is coming. Just don't leave the field. Don't leave the field of your difficulty, everybody. If God puts you there, don't leave the field. So watch out for human voices that feed us and tell us what we want to hear. You need counseling that tells you what God needs you to hear. So years ago, I'm going to finish right now with this. Years ago, just keep it a little down, guys, just a little if you can. Love you all. Years ago, 2006, I go to Rwanda for the first time. So we go in there because we're sponsoring 100, 150 children in Rwanda. I was going once to Rwanda and uh, went there and saw the children. I was absolutely so impacted, cried and cried in Rwanda. And, uh, but I thought I'm going once and I'm going to go home and say, we should sponsor more children. When I went there, on the way home, I met a woman. She's not a Christian, doesn't know God, doesn't go to church. She's doing incredible things in Africa. And uh, God said to me when I got off the plane, he said to me, Jared, I, I said to God, well done, God, putting her on the plane next to me, this non-Christian woman doing all this stuff, because I was able to witness to her. Wasn't that a good idea, God? Clever of you. And God said to me, Jared, I didn't put you on the plane for her. I put her on the plane for you. And I was like, what do you mean, Lord? And he said, she doesn't even know me. Look what she does for me. And you know me. 
That was the start of my life changing for the next 20 years, nearly. As God began to change my heart to realize, hang on, the field you wanted to go to is not the field I want you in. I want you in this field. Go to Rwanda. Go to Perth. I'm not from Perth. I'm from Sydney. God, took, never, God never let me return to my city. He said, go there. I had two of my friends in America say to me, hey, one said years ago, come and work with me. Let's get this happening in America, where everybody thinks they want to go. Turn off your social media to America, everybody, and stay safe. Um, then my other friend, hey, this in America, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm not called to America. And I said to one of my friends, look, I know we've been friends for decades, but you pray and tell me if I'm called to America. And he comes to me and he goes, you ain't. You're not. I go to Rwanda, and I feel like God said to me, go back again, go back again. Go. I wanted to go to Barcelona and do tapas and Spanish dancing. <sighs> Where's all the Spanish people? Come on, you want to be that? I thought that would be awesome. Lord, call me there. Plant a church in Barcelona and dance, eat Spanish food, have music, and just, that would be fun. And God goes, yeah, you might have a holiday one day. You're never going there. And God goes, go to Rwanda again. Go to Rwanda, go to Rwanda. Every time when I go there, I see a little boy. We've gone from 100 children, 150 children, 300 children, 400 children, 500 children, 600 children. We're now sponsoring from our church in Perth. That's, uh, you know, people are paying every month so they can go to school, have medical, dental, education. And the whole time God's saying to me, that little boy there, the number one child, he's anointed to you and your wife. And I'm like, what is it with this kid? That little boy who only spoke Kenyan and French, as I go back again, I'd say to Sue, Sue, I love all these kids, but this boy is anointed to us. My wife would say, what are you talking about? She goes, there's 400 kids here. Oh, yeah, I love them all. It's this one. My wife's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm telling you now, this boy is anointed to us. She goes, he doesn't even speak English. I said, I don't care. I can feel the anointing when I walk past him to us. Anyway, over the years, over the years, over the years, I'm seeing him again. Sue's like, do you still think this boy? I'm telling you now, Sue, this boy is anointed to us. That boy's on staff in Zambia. His name's Justin Mutangana. So Justin, at 17, takes himself out of school. I arrive with the Compassion team uh, from Perth again. And uh, the bus is waiting to take us. And here is Justin taking himself out of boarding school, meeting me at the airport. He's just rocked up, basically. Story for another day. Ends up traveling with me. Then I said to him, hey, I'm doing the Watoda 30th, year and a half later. Do you want to come? Comes with Michael Jacob and a team of us. Gets on a bus, goes to Uganda. He's not born again. And, uh, and I just get from God, bring him to Australia and give him an opportunity. I told my wife, we need to bring Justin to Australia. My wife said to me, our youngest son's getting married. It has to be the following year. I said, no, I prayed for five months. It's this year. <laughs> we needed marriage counseling. We never got it. Anyway, Justin moved into our house, went to Bible school. Now he's doing accountancy here still. But that was the story of me sowing in that field, right? That was a field that I, I'm not Rwandan. I'm not African, as you can. Well, hang on. I am. Look at this shirt. So anyway, so then, right, you ready? Go forward. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm like, who's going to lead the campus in Zambia? Because Pastor Liam and Lisa had to return to Perth. I went, oh, my gosh, it's Justin. I ring Justin and go, hey, Just, the little boy, number one of 1,300 children, can you ever see the campus for us while Pastor Liam and Alicia are stuck in Australia? And Justin, okay, Dad. I said, I'm going to help you. He goes, okay. So Justin stays in Zambia, doesn't return to Rwanda. That little boy who we, I served in the field then becomes the campus pastor here to Lee, Pastor Liam returned. Go forward again. This year I said to Justin and Ishmael, but I told Justin, go find me some land, mate. 
said, when I was last here, it was a million dollars at least. I said, Justin, I need land in this area, this area, it needs to be that. So Justin goes to me again, okay, Dad. He goes and looks for the land. The land before I left, before the pandemic, was $1 million. And the man had on the market, I think, 800. The Chinese corporation offered him 600. And Ishmael and Justin offered the man who had a heart for Rwanda, who was touched by the genocide, who was touched that Justin has no grandparents. They were murdered in the genocide. And he said to Justin, what do you want off me? And Justin offered him 300,000. And the man, though, he was like, what? God touched his heart and he sold us that land where our church will be for 300,000 in Cavalonga. So guess what, Ruth, Pastor Jared? Stay in the field in Rwanda because your provision is there. Justin and Ishmael saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars because he was anointed. The man had a heart towards Rwanda. And he bought the land. So when I go to Rwanda, just been there, they said to me, oh, did you sponsor Justin? I said, no, he sponsors me. They're like, what do you mean? I said, yeah, he just sponsored me to the chin of like, oh my gosh, $500,000. He sponsors me. But where did I find Justin Mutangana, who's been such a blessing to Sue and I personally, to our church here in Zambia? Where did I find him? When I was in a field, helping children who were recovering from a genocide. And now the supernatural miracle, again, 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 again. Your miracle, everybody, is in the field. Guess who Ruth is? It's you. Ruth is you. Every one of us will have a field right now that God's called us to that has some bitterness to it, some difficulty to it, some challenge to it. But God's saying, add in the character of of Ruth to your life. Because I'm Boaz, your father, and I see what you're doing. You may think God doesn't see. When I was in Rwanda in 2006, I'm like, Lord, what, what? 2008, 2009, 2011, Lord. And he's like, don't worry, your miracle's sitting there. He's 10 years old. He's 12. He's 17. He's going to bless your church in Zambia. What church in Zambia? He goes, I'll get to you that later. (laughs) When there wasn't a church in Zambia. Do you understand what I'm saying? The miracle is in the field. What's your field? Is it a home group? Connect group here? Is it in the church, in the worship team, whatever it is? In the house? What is it out of the house? But just make sure that you're accountable in, to the team in the house. Because as I, did you hear me? God doesn't work with independence. He works with interdependence. In Jesus' name.